Galatians 3 and 6 through 9 today. Let's pray. (coughs) Fathers, your word reminds us that the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, that you, O Lord, will keep them. And that's why we're here, because not a single word is misspoken or untrue or impure, and every last word you've given us in your scriptures is perfect. They are the words which are able to make us wise unto salvation. So bless the going forth of your word this morning, and though I am only a a weak man, I ask that you preserve the purity and truthfulness of your words by your Holy Spirit, that we would um, speak and that all would hear in accordance with what you have intended to communicate about yourself and how we, uh, your humble servants, are, are to relate to you. And in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Well, let's stand for the reading of, of the Word. And uh, this morning I had Michael put the NASB in the bulletin because the ESV ended strange. We're having verse 6 being kind of an extension of the question in verse 5, which I thought was mistaken, and most translations don't do that. And so I just it just made more sense to go with the NASB this morning. And so that, that's what I'll be preaching from uh, today, and that's what's in the bulletin. Um, so Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Amen. You may be seated. I grew up singing that the kids' song. You may have two. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. It's a very strange song because then you proceed to praise the Lord by sticking your arms and legs in the middle of the circle. Uh, but it's also a, a strange song because, I, I mean, as a kid, I didn't really think about it much. But why am I a son of Abraham? Why does it matter that I'm a son of Abraham? Um, and those are important questions to be asking ourselves. And we actually uh, read some of this stuff from Galatians yesterday, and we were telling Tone about it, and then we kind of sang the song Father Abraham with him and tried to explain why is it that we are sons of Abraham and why does that matter? Um, These questions are near to Paul's heart here in this text. In other texts, he brings up Abraham over and over again. And for Paul, Abraham is a central figure in this debate about circumcision and faith and justification. And he's a central figure in the gospel and and redemptive historical um, narrative of the Bible. So these questions, why are we sons of Abraham and, and how do we become sons of Abraham, are important for us to grapple with because uh, the question of justification apart from works by faith still lies at the heart of the gospel 
today as it did in Paul's day and as it did in Abraham's day. Last week in verses 2 through 5, Paul pointed out that the whole Christian life is lived uh, by hearing with faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon the Galatians and worked among them, not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. And so Paul now begins in verse 6 by illustrating that point with, with Scripture from Genesis uh, chapter 15 and verse 6. Now our context is similar to the Galatians because we're Gentiles and we have no real organic tie to Abraham. These people, even in uh, this area who were... Or there are people in this area who are obsessed with kind of Judaism or, or Zionism. And we can imagine maybe if some of these people gained prominent influence in the Christian community in this area, teaching Christians that if they're to enjoy the blessings of God, uh, they need to be sons of Abraham. Which, which is actually so far a good thing. We do need to be sons of Abraham. Covenantally speaking, and from a Reformed perspective, we need to be sons of Abraham. Um, the promise to Abraham, I will be a God to you and you will be my people, that, that's something I want to hold on to and to claim for myself. Um, but what if some, some sort of Judaizing or even Zionistic teachers said, well, to be a son of Abraham, you either need to be an ethnic Jew, trace your lineage back, or you need to adhere to old covenant laws, like the sign of circumcision. You must do that to be a son of Abraham. That's kind of what was going on, or that is what was going on in Galatia. And it's not unlike a Roman Catholicism or many other cults, that there's a concept of salvation by grace through faith, but to maintain a status of righteousness before God, we have to do certain things. Um, so Paul's contention has been, in chapter 3, Christ has been placarded before your eyes, eyes is crucified in the gospel. Um, you began the, the Christian life by hearing the gospel and believing it. And the Holy Spirit has worked in you to continue to, to have faith and he's continued to work in you by hearing with faith. He says the, go the gospel of Abraham uh, himself, the one that, that Abraham received, was also the gospel of hearing with faith apart from works. So in verse 6, even, even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. <coughs> So this is a quote from Genesis 15:6, and the context is that God had promised Abraham in chapter 12 to, to make him you know, a father of nations and to bless him and to bring him into the land of Canaan. And then chapter 15, he says, I'm going to give you a great reward. And, and, and of course, Abraham's concern is, well, I don't have an heir. What, basically, what good is a reward if it's not going to be passed on? This person, person in my home, Eleazar, will be... My heir, I don't have a son, so what good is a reward in all these these promises? God said, well, go outside, look at the stars, and start counting the stars. And if you're able to count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. He promises him a son. So Abraham, it says, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul begins the verse with, even so, 
So he's saying, just as the Spirit worked in the lives of you Galatians and of us by hearing the gospel with faith, even so Abraham believed. It was by hearing the promises of God with faith. And we must remember that the, the God's way of salvation has remained constant throughout all of redemptive history um, since the fall. So, some, like the heretic Marcion in the second century, draw this hard line between Old and New Testament. Or even our dispensational brothers and sisters draw that line in a way that's unhelpful. And for some, at least, there are two peoples of God, the church and Israel, and two plans of salvation, one for the Jews and one for the church. God's plan of salvation has remained constant through redemptive history, and God's way of salvation has always been grace through faith in Christ. Those Old Testament saints looked forward to Christ, to the Messiah, through the promise. We look back on the event of the death and resurrection of Christ. So Old Testament saved, uh, saints were not saved by law-keeping, as is sometimes wrongly assumed, or by the sacrificial system, but by faith in Christ. Now, why, why does Paul bring up Abraham here? Uh, it's sometimes popular in some circles to, to have character studies or whole Bible studies based on characters. Is that Paul launching into a character study here? You know, three ways to be like Papa Abraham. Uh, is Abraham just a good example for us? And Judaism, a works-based religion, Abraham really is, that, that is the purpose that Abraham serves, is to be a good example of good works, uh, of morality. Um, Thomas Schreiner quotes from the book, the, it's a pseudepigraphal work um, from around the time of, of the Qumran society, about 200 years before Christ, called the Jubilees. Um, it's basically, there's 50 chapters in it. It's a, kind of a, a parallel to the book of Genesis. Um, and this is what Jubilees quotes about Abraham. For Abraham was perfect in all his actions with the Lord and was pleasing through righteousness all the days of his life. Conveniently ignoring Abraham lying about Sarai or his faithlessness in, in conceiving Ishmael with Hagar. Um, but Paul here is not interested in doing a character study on Abraham he is in, interested in an ongoing covenantal and paradigmatic significance to Abraham's life as the, the um, mediator of the Abrahamic covenant. So to a Jewish mind, one becomes a son of Abraham um, and is the heir of those, his promises one of two ways. Either you trace your lineage back to Abraham or you could you could join the community, you could become a proselyte through circumcision, adhering to the laws, and becoming a part of the community that way. Um, and the false teachers in Galatia were probably teaching things like this to the church in Galatia. Now Paul's saying, well, let's just wait a minute and go back to the covenant promises in Genesis. How was Abraham's righteousness actually understood by Scripture, by inspired Scripture? He's basically saying, wouldn't the means by which the father of the covenant people attained righteousness before God, wouldn't that 
um, set something of a precedent for the, the offspring to follow. Abraham is an important figure to consider because God made covenant promises with Abraham and it doesn't matter or it does matter that we become his sons and daughters and the question is then how do we become Abraham's sons and daughters? It says in the quote of Genesis 5, 15-6 that he believes God he believes God. That's the essence of faith, believing God. Uh, and, of course, Abraham was old when he received the promise of a son. It, Hebrews 11 says he was as good as dead. And he had an old, barren wife. And he heard this promise that God would give him offspring like the stars of the heavens. It's an absurd promise on a human level. And he said, okay, he said, I believe you. Luther comments on the nature of faith here. He says that faith gives glory to God. This is how, is that faith gives God what is due to him. For faith says, I believe you, God, when you speak. And what does God say? Impossible things, lies, foolish things, weak and absurd and abominable and heretical and devilish things, if you believe in reason. For what is more absurd foolish and impossible that when God said to Abraham that he would have a son by the barren body of his wife Sarah that's the nature of faith faith acknowledges God in spite of absurdity because we trust that God is God it's imperative also that faith in our minds is not conceived as that one work that, that one work that earns us salvation or merit before God. That's not the nature of faith at all. Faith is, is not sufficient to earn favor before God, but it is a gift of God which we exercise by His grace. And even in an imperfect, in, imperfect state, even less than a mustard seed, it is God's appointed means to unite us to Christ. And that's what we need. So faith was not the one righteous or obedient act whereby Abraham achieved or earned righteousness. It says here that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Reckoned to him as righteousness. So this word reckoned is the Greek word uh, logizomai, which you can hear the word logos, from which we get the word logic, as the idea of reason to it. Uh, Lao and Nita lexicon says it's to think about something in a detailed and logical manner to think about or to reason about that's kind of the the root of the word so on a very basic level we could just say god thought about abraham as righteousness it's kind of like when jed clampett says i reckon what what is he saying i i I agree that what you're saying is true I, i reckon so But the word goes kind of beyond the the root word. It takes a bit more of a deeper meaning, more of an accounting metaphor. Um, When we think about something in a certain way, we consider it to be that way, or we count it to be that way, or or we credit it to be that way. So we account it as such, or we record it as such. Um, So it is this idea of crediting righteousness to Abraham's account. So faith... uh, is not something that earned Abraham righteousness. 
uh, as though it were a wage, but God credited faith to his account um, as righteousness. So the ongoing covenantal and, and paradigmatic significance of Abraham is that the means by which he enjoyed the favor of the Lord uh, was not merit, but it was to believe the promise of God um, by which God credited to him righteousness. <coughs> um, we should rejoice in, in this, that this is the same system that, that we're saved by. We don't have to slave away to earn God's favor. We, we don't have to stash away our merits in, in a bank or a chest in hopes that one day we can kind of pay God back enough. You know, like the psalm today in Sunday school, you can't pay God for your life. You can't do it with money, neither can you do it with merits or good, good works. When I was in Christian school in, in Florence, Colorado, I, I, you'd start out the day with three merits, and then if you did something wrong, you'd get demerits, and if you, you used up all your demerits, you'd get in trouble, or used up all your merits. But at the end of the month, they'd tabulate all your merits, and then you could go to the merit store, which had all manner of junk that you could buy with your merits. Uh, that, that's kind of the idea, I think, of many religions, is that you, you save up all your merits. Yes, sometimes you have demerits, but your merits are more than your demerits, and you get to buy stuff with it. <laughs> but really, the, the system God has put in place is as simple as hear God and believe, even if imperfectly, and he will bestow upon us, as children of Abraham, the blessings of his covenant grace. And that is good news. That's something to rejoice over. <coughs> now Paul goes on here in verses 7 and 8 um, to make application of Genesis 15, 6 and 7 and 8. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So verse 7, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Uh, he, the, he's saying, therefore, be sure, be, because of Genesis fifteen six, be sure that you are sons of Abraham if you have faith. He's saying that the application follows directly from the quotation um, and I really got jammed up trying to figure this out. Um, my, my question was, how does it necessarily follow from Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness that we must be sure that we're sons of Abraham? I couldn't put those two things together. Um, and it wasn't a question of how, mechanically speaking, we become sons of Abraham by faith. Um, the rest of the chapter 3 explains that clearly, that Jesus is the offspring singular of Abraham and by faith were united to him. Um, but but my question was, how, based on Genesis 15.6, does Paul conclude that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham? So, if I'm a little fuzzy on this, you can correct me afterwards. But here's here's my uh, best guess, is, is that we can't we can't say, well, we'll just follow in, in Abraham's footsteps, like father, like son, because that makes faith a, a work. Uh, and my Basically, I think the point is that to be a son of Abraham is to be an heir of righteousness by faith 
and all the subsequent blessings of it, to, to be an heir of the covenant. God had promised Abraham blessing and reward, but he could not give that reward to somebody who was unrighteous. We see in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the way that Abraham pleased God was not by earning it with his merits, but he received blessing and promise because God reckoned his faith to him as righteousness. He didn't earn his righteousness before God, and thus he didn't earn his reward. And the same has to be true for anyone who would claim to be an heir according to the promise or or a son of Abraham. Um, adoption into the family of Abraham in an external sense in the Old Covenant, as we said, is by becoming a proselyte, which required circumcision and obedience. Um, but those things were never really what constituted the household of Abraham. Abraham's house has always been a household of faith. And the, the temporal blessings promised to the nation of Israel we're always pointing to greater blessings that we have in Christ. So the heirs of Abraham's promise have always been those people who are truly righteous like Abraham. That is those who are reckoned righteous like Abraham was. So despite what for me was exegetical difficulty, the application is actually quite simple and quite comforting. Paul says we can know for sure that it is faith as opposed to works or lineage which makes us Abraham's heirs. That, that to me is good news. By faith, apart from works, I can be a son of Abraham. I can, have, I can be an heir of the promise. The same idea is in Romans 9.6. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Or at the end of this chapter... And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we can have confidence that if we believe God, and believe in God's promises as they are fulfilled in Christ, we will enjoy the covenant promises promised to Abraham. And that, that is a glorious thing. Here, here's a few of the promises promised to Abraham. Uh, that he would be a great nation and kings would come from him. That he would have a homeland that he would bless the nations and and the great covenant promise that I will be a God to you and to your offspring and they shall be my people. Those are fulfilled for us in Christ. That we'd be a great nation and kings would come from us. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Or to have a homeland I think is fulfilled as we see in Hebrews 11.6, that they desired a better country, not just Canaan, which they never really obtained, but a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God has prepared for them a city. Or that Abraham would bless the nations. Uh, Revelation 5.9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So in Christ is the blessing to the nations through the gospel. And finally, I will be your God and you will be my people. Revelation 21, 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So his command here, know that those who are of faith are of Abraham. Paul explains in verse 8 that the promise given to Abraham has always been meant uh, for the Gentiles. And therefore the idea of making Gentiles go through the, the hoops of becoming circumcised and all these other things is really contra to gospel. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. Or all the nations shall be blessed in you. So first he says the scripture, scripture foreseeing. This is Genesis talking about preaching the gospel, God through his word. And verse 8 combines two Old Testament references, Genesis 12:3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 18:18, that Abraham shall surely become a great nation and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now he says that the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Uh, it, God, God's never had a plan B. He's always had his eyes set on engrafting the Gentiles into his people. And the Gentiles were always meant to share in the blessings of the the covenant of grace. Ephesians 4 is wonderful. I'm going to read a few verses if you want to turn over there. Ephesians, or 3 rather. Ephesians 3, 4 through 10. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plain mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We here have a a plain teaching on the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. And Paul calls it a mystery. And our English word mystery kind of has the idea of something you've tried to figure out but can't. Whereas I think the, the word here is more um, that which was not known beforehand but now is revealed. So what was not known before was that the Gentiles would be made fellow heirs, partakers of the same promises, the, the Abrahamic promises. But God, through his word, did preach that gospel, Paul says, to Abraham when he said that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He says he preached the gospel to him beforehand. That's actually one word, preached the gospel beforehand. 
That's what's called a hapax legomena, a one-time use in the whole Bible. Uh, I wonder if Paul invented it. I don't know. <laughs> he, he likes to invent words. Um, preach the gospel beforehand. Um, and this was the gospel that he talks about in Ephesians 3, that of Gentile engrafting. It was preached in bits and pieces through the Old Testament. But I think what was fuzzy to them has now been made clear to us. And I think the, the offspring of Abraham probably understood the promise to him that they would bless the nation more in terms of our prosperity and wealth will overflow into the nations. But here, Paul, and here and in Ephesians, he makes the point plain. It was God preaching about saving the nations. Verse 8 even really equates justification by faith with the gospel preached beforehand. It's the same thing. Justification by faith for the Gentiles is the gospel preached beforehand. Now we come to understand this better when we understand the full biblical revelation of what it means um, to be blessed of the Lord, which we see in verses 8 and 9, to be blessed of the Lord. Um, So then, in verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And I tend to think of blessing in terms of material blessing, success, possessions. Um, But the Bible really, blessing is a covenantal word. It's in contrast to cursing, blessing and cursing. Um, The idea is, is like Aaron's blessing, may God's face shine upon you. Or Psalm 1, there's the, the blessed man versus the wicked man. Or in Deuteronomy, we see the covenant blessings and the covenant cursing. There are those in the covenant who enjoy the blessing of God, and those are who, outside of the covenant are cursed of God. And to me, it's obvious that Paul is thinking in these covenantal terms because the very next passage is about the curses. In these verses, he speaks of blessings, and in the next ones, he turns our attention to the curse that Christ redeems us from. Um, in 9 through 13, he says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So there's the blessing. But for all who rely on the works of the law are under the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the idea here is this contrast between blessing and cursing. And blessing really is more covenantal in terms of God making his people righteous and leaving the wicked in their cursed state. I have a a wordy sentence here, but I think it's, it's an expanded interpretive paraphrase of Paul's summary here in verse 9 that will kind of sum up what he, he's getting at, I think. Um, so basically it would go like this. Because sons of Abraham are reckoned righteous by faith, like Abraham was, and through him all the nations will be justified by faith, as preached by God in Scripture, we must conclude that any who walk in faith by the Spirit, not by works of the law and the flesh, will enjoy covenant blessing promised to Abraham 
the man who believes. That's a, a summary that's a, a wordy, so I'm going to read it one more time. Because sons of Abraham are reckoned righteous by faith like he was, and through him all the nations will be justified by faith as preached by God in Scripture, we must conclude that any who walk in faith by the Spirit, not by works of the law in the flesh, will enjoy the covenant blessing promised to Abraham, the man who believed. So the, the beauty and the richness and the complexity of the redemptive historical gospel, we must understand ultimately all centers on Christ. And all, all the storylines go back to that central hub of Christ. It all began with Christ placarded before our eyes in the gospel as crucified. And as we'll see more in detail in the coming weeks, it is only through him that the gospel preached beforehand that mystery became a reality. God has made plain his manifest plan to show his awesome wisdom. We see in Ephesians 3. That's the, that's the purpose. The reason he's, he's created this whole wonderful scheme is to show his mercy and to show his wisdom, to, to glorify himself. And the tragedy of a works-based religion is it turns the glory back on man and gives man a reason to boast instead of putting the glory on God. So the telos of God's plan is that he would be glorified and our response should be one of praise and boasting in the Lord because he's made us sons and daughters of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So as, as silly as it may be, I think the children's song gets it about right. (laughs) Father Abraham has many sons. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's the proper conclusion. Amen.